Welcome to the Great Awakening Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dobbs. Today, we're going to be talking all about the culture war. What is it? You know, is it something that Christians should be involved in? Is it something we should shy away from? Does it somehow hurt our witness? Today's guest is Abigail Dobbs. She is an author and writer who is a regular contributor to places like Desiring God and World Opinions, where she recently published a piece entitled Faithfully Fighting the Culture War. And I thought it was a really helpful piece to um, just help Christians think through how we should be responding to this cultural moment we're in. So um, it's it's a great conversation we had earlier this week, and I'm excited to share that with you. But first, I'd like to tell you about Gold River Trading Company. Gold River Trading Company sells a delicious assortment of teas. I am currently enjoying their 1776 breakfast blend, um, and it's, it's really quite good. Uh, my son, my oldest son, has been really getting into tea and uh, is just a huge fan of all the different flavors he's tried. And so it's, it's a really high-quality product, um, but it's also made by a company that shares our values. They um, you know, liked what we were doing on the podcast and reached out and said, we want to support this. So um, very happy to have them as sponsors. They, uh, they get that in this, you know, as we're going through this great awakening, you know, we're faced with a, a dilemma of how do we um, kind of take a stand? How do we fight back against a lot of what we're seeing? And, and one way we do that is through the market and being able to direct our, our dollars towards companies that align with our values and, and away from companies that hate our values. And so I'm really um, pleased to be partnering with um, Gold River Trading Company um, in, that, in that mission to um, just kind of take a stand against uh, woke corporations. And um, for our listeners, they are offering 10% off your order if you go to goldriverco.com, goldriverco.com, and use the promo code AWOKENING, you will get 10% off your order. And with that, let's jump right into our conversation with Abigail Dodds. Hi, Abigail. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you uh, recently wrote a really uh, incredible piece for World Opinions. Um, I think it was, it was all about why we should be engaged in the culture war as mm-hmm. Christians. Can you kind of... Tell us what prompted that. Where did where did that what made you want to write about that? Yeah, I mean, aside from the current uh, dialogue, I guess you could say about should Christians be in the culture war. There's a lot of I don't know chatter about that right now. Um, but I don't think that's new. I mean, I think there's always been some chatter about that. It's maybe ramped up recently, and it's something that I think I've been interested in understanding since I was really young. Um, uh, my dad is an OB doctor, so grew up really in the pro-life movement. Um, he worked, he was on, you know, the board of a pro-life, uh, pregnancy center. And so we did a lot just in that whole world, worked a lot with, um, Catholics and mostly Catholic people, (laughs) um, because those were most of the people who were in doing the work there. There were some Protestants, but not very many. Um, And then right after college, so I actually got married in college, but right after college, I, right after I graduated, I worked for a very short time for um, Minnesota Citizens Concerned for Life, which is a pro-life education and lobbying group. And again, working almost exclusively with Catholics. Um, There was, I think, one other evangelical who worked there at the time I was there. 
And so I have spent, I mean, this is silly because it's a very short article. It's like under 800 words. And yet I have been thinking about this my whole life. (laughs) So what was the impetus for this? Oh, the last 40 years. (laughs) Um, It's just something that it really matters. Uh, and it matters what we think about it, not just, oh, does it matter if we engage in it? It it matters whether we think engagement is godly or not, whether we think we have any obligations to this culture um, in how we live and how we conduct ourselves and and how we seek to spread um, truths, of, truths of God's word and truths of the way he's made the world. And so those things just matter a lot to me um, because I'm a Christian. And so that's where it that's where it came from. <laughs> All right. So let's let's back up and and define our terms. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the debates within evangelical circles these days are a lot of like talking past one another. Yeah. So let's let's make sure that we we know what we're talking about. What do, what do you mean when you use the term culture war? Right. What does that entail to for mm-hmm. you? Well, I think we probably have broad agreement on the word culture. So I think the culture, that word can be defined in several, you might have slightly different variations on how you define that, like how our beliefs influence the world around us. Uh, You could define it. I I read recently a definition that said culture is um, really the outworking of what we worship. So from the word cultus, so it's, it's based on our worship and that what we worship influences the world around us whether we worship the pagan gods or whether we worship the one true god that that was actually a really interesting thing to think about Um, but i think we have broad agreement on the word culture the question is when we put the word culture together with war do we have agreement on what that means and we don't um or maybe we do in some ways and we just disagree about whether or not it's right to engage so I think of the culture war as, for Christian, as Christians, um, kind of don't like the word engage, but engaging in the world or living in the world or speaking and acting and serving in the world in such a way as to bring Christ's lordship to bear everywhere we are, um, to bring the truth of the word and the truth of the way God's made the world to bear in the world and to influence it so that the culture that forms around Christ, the culture that he creates by his spirit, spills out into the world so that it's doing the influencing. It's pushing out into the world, um, changing things, changing laws from immoral to moral, changing neighbors from unsaved to saved, um, just changing the atmosphere and the air that we breathe so that it's got some freshness to it um, and not just sour grapes. <laughs> yeah. In, in your, your article, I've, uh, I think you talked about, um, I think you said it's the natural, the culture war is what naturally um, happens when we stop compartmentalizing yeah. our Christianity. It's, it's if we keep our faith just strictly to a Sunday morning thing and then go out into the world and it doesn't have any impact you know right. it doesn't have any effect in our day-to-day life then um you know it's, it's kind of a, a a neutered faith yes uh, an, an active faith is going to 
you know, encounter the culture that we're living in. And um, <laughs> when the culture becomes hostile, it, it, the, an engagement is inevitable. Right. It doesn't just go home and hide. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So that, that's part of it, too. I think one thing, so two things, actually. First is absolutely the way I conceive of culture war is a mature, integrated Christian. So uh, to engage in the culture war means you are who you are everywhere you are. The, the truths of God's word have so worked them, worked their way into you that they are working their way out of you and they aren't hidden. You are not hiding your light under a bushel. Um, and hopefully, uh, Lord willing, it is not hypocrisy. You know, you are not coming on as the keyboard warrior to rail against the evils of abortion while you neglect your own children and could care less about their development, their nurture, their discipleship. Um, hopefully it's not hypocrisy. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, uh, I'm talking about an integrated person, not a culture war that is compartmentalized. And so that leads to my second thought that I had when you were talking, which is, I think the rub comes in that a lot of people conceive of the culture war as political and worldly. Mm. And, and this, is, this is not just the um, evangelical elite who kind of condescend to a lot of people about this. This is just the, the average layperson in the pew who really is wanting to live in holiness and, and wanting to stay pure and unstained from the world. And they're wondering, like, is it right for me to go engage in that way? And they're thinking, um, go to a political rally, um, go serve on somebody's campaign staff, or, or get in fights on Facebook with a family member. You know, uh, that seems yeah. kind of <laughs> iffy to me. I don't know if the culture war is a thing a Christian should do. And I think when you're talking to someone that like that, you should just grant, of course, there are certain things that are off limits for Christians, you know, being uncomely to a family member on Facebook, probably not a great idea. I mean, not that you shouldn't stand for the truth and not that they couldn't perceive something you're doing as mean, even though it's not, it's loving. All that granted, um, but being a jerk, that's off limits. Um, so I think you need to be, be gentle with those people who have qualms about it so that they can see the bigger picture of what the culture war is, which is it's starting in your home. It's starting with the culture that you have um, cultivated in your home. Is it a Christian culture? Is it mm -hmm. full of life and warmth? Is it something that ought to be shared with other people? You know, like, is it something sure. you'd actually want to invite someone into or would they be yeah. kind of like, oh, not so good here in this, <laughs> you know, so going back to the basics and giving Christians the freedom to realize that engaging in the culture war does not mean you have to go become super political and read the newspaper every day. Engaging in the culture war can be simply choosing to create by God's grace, a culture within your home that is truly Christian, truly salt and light, and then trying to push that out into your neighborhood and into mm -hmm. your church family as much as possible. But everybody's going to come in in different places, and that's okay. There's room for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, really good that you know, my wife and I talk about um, how we, we each have different 
spheres of influence. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we start in the, you know, you're never going to have more influence than you do with the people in yeah. your own household. And then from there, if you're being faithful there, then, you know, God will open up opportunities to, you know, expand your influence at work and at church and in your local community. Right. And so, so often I think one of the things that people find icky about culture war is it seems like this preoccupation with like what's happening in Washington. Yep. Like it's this thing that's far away and, you know, you're just letting your, you know, your local church and your local family, you know, you're neglecting that because you're angry about, you know, who's in the White House. Right. And it's, it's really, like you said, it's, it's more about cultivating um, that culture in your home and then um, just being mindful of how the culture outside is impacting and is, is you know, Romans 12, 2 says to not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the culture all around us is trying to form us, right. you know, through our schools and our entertainment and just everything that we you know, experience on Facebook and on social media, we are being formed yes. and by a culture. And so I think the culture war is just refusing to go along with that. Right. So just planting our feet on the word of God and saying, nope, nope, I can't go along with that. Right. Yeah. I think Kevin DeYoung had an article not too long ago about how your children are being catechized by the world. It doesn't matter if they're homeschooled. It does not yeah. matter if they're in the most conservative classical Christian school available to man. They are being catechized by the world. We all are. And to not recognize that is losing. That means you've lost the battle. But if you can't see that, you aren't fighting the battle and you have surrendered. <laughs> um, you have to see. And this is why if you aren't formed by God's word, if your eyes aren't new, you will be blind to see the way the culture is influencing us. But even for those Christians who are truly believers, who do have God's spirit in them, we can become, we can slowly get filters over our vision, slowly get the inability to see the ways we have adopted worldliness. We mm -hmm. have adopted the world's ways of thinking because it's just so pervasive. And so somehow and the only way I know how is by calibrating yourself by reading the word every day. You've got to shake off the, the fog and the cobwebs that the world is just every day kind of putting over you so that you can keep getting fresh eyes and fresh vision for what it is we're supposed to be about. Um, it's just impossible otherwise. And you can sense the people who do that. You know, it's, they're otherworldly. Um, they don't sound like the world. They don't talk mm -hmm. like the world. Um, even though they're engaging the world and they're part of this fight, they don't think in the categories that the world thinks in. They can see through kind of the, the narrative framing where they say someone's making an argument, but all their presuppositions are wrong. You know, they can see through all those things. And this moment needs those kinds of wise people. We, we yeah. need not the people who are playing in the world's playbook but we need people who say oh no i i live in a world that belongs to my father i'm going to play by his rules you know and we're going to bring this to bear in this conversation um man it, it you can't overstate the need for that it's just yeah. massive yeah i think about uh rosaria butterfield in, yes. in her book um the gospel comes with a house key mm -hmm. and just 
you read that and you're like, this is otherworldly. This yeah, is your, not. Your hair's blowing back. You're like, yeah. <laughs> the fresh air is just pouring in. Yep. Yeah. 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 I think that's it is. It's 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 and we need leaders to challenge us like that to because we're because by default we're going to flow right along with the stream of culture it's it's just if we don't do anything that's what's going to happen and you're going to look and see the next generation you know the kids that you want to be walking with the lord when they're grown and and like left your house if you just go along with what you know the world is uh is teaching and you're not like actively standing against it and and trying to instill different uh a different worldview in your kids they're going to be further downstream than than you want them to be right right and i think another way that i'm just piggybacking off of what you said another way that that christian discipleship can break down is um sometimes as christian parents we think i just need to put in the good they need to know the true and the genuine and i just need to put in all the good. And that is 100% true. It's just not enough. Yes, you need to put in all the good. But if you aren't as the parent being the one to expose them to the lies that are out there in the world, and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to put in all the good and all the truth, going to launch you out. Um, I'll, I'll create kind of some protections here, but we're not going to talk about transgenderism because that seems really like, ooh, I don't want you know, and there's an age appropriate time. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you tell your little kids these things. They should be sheltered till they're formed a little better. But if you've got a teenager and you've never talked to them about transgenderism or um, all the different ideologies, feminism, even all the different things out there in the world that they're going to face, you are leaving them open uh, to such attacks. Uh, they because lies are hard to see through. <laughs> And so unless they're hearing it from you and then you're helping them work through the biblical response to it, I mean, it's just not kind. It's not loving to your children. But I think a lot of parents, that's where, because they aren't noticing all the things that are going on in the world, because they aren't paying attention, they, there's this false sense of security for their children. And, and a false sense of, a false sense of protection. I think that you know, they think, oh my, I, I don't want to talk about that stuff with my kids without realizing that the world wants to talk to your That's kids right. about that. They're, That's right. They're desperate to talk to your kids about mm-hmm. that because they know if they can get them and shape them on these, on these topics and, and shape their thinking on this, by the time you've talked to them, they're already, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. This isn't what I'm hearing at school. This isn't what I'm, you know, seeing well, on uh, my favorite TV shows. You know, it, so interesting because this is like the title of your podcast, like Awakening. But I listened to this lecture by, I think his name was, I really hope I get it right. I think it was Joshua Mitchell, um, Georgetown University professor. He came into a lecture at Bethlehem uh, College and Seminary like a month or so ago. And his whole thesis is that there is a second great awakening in America. And it's this new ideology around. Um, race and gender. And so the whole concept that he is about is like the, this new culture. And it's a little bit similar to, I think, um, John McWhorter's writing, but this whole court culture is a new religion. Um, 
the the trans ideology, um, some of the CRT stuff is taking the Christian, the shape of Christian of the Christian message, and it's using it um, over here. And he kind of outlines like the re- the redemption story of this new religion, this new woke religion, and how it's it's stealing and borrowing these concepts from Christianity without any of the power or grace or forgiveness or goodness. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's so, it was really interesting um, to think about trans ideology as a form of new birth. Mm. Um, you know, that I'm going to become this new person. Uh, I'm going to change gender and be new. And that's my salvation. You know, that's mm. how I am who I really am. That's my happiness. Um, and so different different concepts like that, where the reason why some of those concepts resonate with young Christian kids is because it's a, it's a cheap, horrible ripoff of some Christian concepts that Christian kids have been trained to say, oh yeah, loving, that's us, neighbor love. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, everyone is created in God's image. And so just like, you know, Joe Biden saying the other day, these trans children are created in God's image. And so we just need to love them as they are. The big problem with that is that's not how they are. Like that's mm-hmm. not how they were made. Um, yeah. But it's ripping off a Christian idea and repackaging it and selling it to a, an apostate Christian world, and they're mm-hmm. just eating it up. Um, and so that's another reason why Christian kids, especially, have to be taught to see through it because some of it is going to be resonant with their Christian thoughts. It's gonna they're gonna think, oh, that rings true to me in yeah. some way. I think that I think that gets to what Aaron Wren talks about when he he talks about there's a you know for so long we lived in kind of a neutral world that seemed like it was you know the world was fine if Christians did their thing just leave us alone and we'll leave you alone and mm-hmm. and that's that's fine and in that 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 world we we developed uh, ministry models that were very much about you know loving people where they're at and and trying to be accepting and you know, hopefully not compromising on the truth of scripture, but not uh, not being in your face with it, and you know this this approach that um, you know is is heavily uh, heavy emphasis on love um, over maybe truth. Right. And now we're in a hostile world where the world is not leaving, uh, is not neutral towards Christian teaching. It's it's hostile toward it, and and we've. We've so, um, I think, um, conditioned our kids to be in that, and and just evangelicals in general, to be in that posture of, no, I'm going to be loving and accepting and try and be winsome enough that they'll, you know, see something different in me and ask, oh, what's different about you? When, you know, if we ever deliver any Christian teaching, any truth at all, we're instantly bigots. Right. And, and it's, um, it, it, it's almost like we're in such a new world that we have to figure out new ministry models that um, are prepared and know how to engage with a culture that is no longer neutral. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot, of, um, a lot of interesting things to think about in that model of neutral world to hostile world. And one 
and I should go and read more of what Aaron Wren has written on that. I read some of it. So if I'm saying things he's already said, just say, oh, he already said that. Um, but one thing I was thinking about, because I just saw some people talking about this the other day, was in this neutral world concept where the world is sort of neutral towards us as Christians. I think the other side of that is Christians were also extremely neutral towards the world. So it's coming, I think, both ways. So Christians mm -hmm. kind of, I think, you know, and again, I, I am not all seeing and all knowing. This is just my perception. What it seems to me happened in that time frame, let's say the 80s, 90s, however long that lasted, even some of the two, early 2000s, a lot of Christians said, I, I won't um, offend you with my beliefs in the public square. I won't talk about what I really think at the family gathering. I won't say any of that stuff. We'll only do that when we're at church and mm. when we're at home alone. We, we will not. This is, you know, the world is neutral out there. So we don't want to be, we don't want to impose our thoughts on anyone else. We will be very quiet. And then, and what's happened is both sides are recognizing that is not a real way of living like that. There's something fundamentally false about all of that. And yeah. I think it's probably the world who kind of first said, uh, no, we're going to say what we're going to go full bore on our beliefs. Now we'll, we don't like you. Uh, we think you're wrong and we're going to push this agenda forward of all these basically child hating ideologies. Mm -hmm. And the Christians now are having to choose are we now also going to step into the public square and speak the truth like Paul did and say the things that are true about God and his world and what he's done and what he's made, especially when our own children's lives and well-being are on the line? Or are mm -hmm. we going to just say, oh, we'll try and retreat even further into the background. We will so neutralize ourselves that we'll actually join your team. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we'll be so quiet that we'll do your work for you um, or we'll start to agree with some of what you say because maybe you'll like us better then um and that's that is not i i cannot find a category for that as a christian way of being in the world yeah you know if someone has a biblical example i'd love for them to send it to me uh, but i mean even when you look at daniel and shadrach meshach and abednego they're living in babylon but they're defying the king mm -hmm. you know like so i don't yeah, know i just <laughs> Yeah, Daniel goes to the window to pray. It's right, exactly. Like, you can't, yeah. <laughs> watch me. Watch right, me do it. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So along those lines, I think as we're in this this new world and trying to figure it out, and we are playing catch up. I think the uh -huh. the world, you know, we've assumed they've been playing, you know, with one set of rules when they, really they've been advancing um, in ways while we're just you know compartmentalized uh, on Sunday and at home behind closed doors. Um, I think we, we need to figure out and help disciple, um, leaders need to, and, and pastors need to help disciple Christians to know how we love our enemies while opposing the enemy's agenda. And yep. I asked that on, um, on Twitter, um, several months back, just how do we love our enemies while opposing what they're trying to do? Mm -hmm. And just the, the very idea that we have enemies was like, apparently controversial, which 
is, uh, I mean, I'm not sure who we're supposed to love in that command if we don't have enemies. But right. I think I, th- I think a lot of Christians have been kind of conditioned to believe that if we have any enemies, it's because we've made them. Yep. Yep. And and we we're missing this category that you know the world will hate you. We're we're told that we're promised that, um, and then we got to figure out how to, uh, especially with the trans stuff. I think that just completely shifts the paradigm of yeah. how we have to respond to the LGBT community because it is it's not just you know they're adults doing what you know what they want behind closed doors. Um, let's just love them and and. Ho- hopefully, you know, win them with the love of Christ. Their agenda, and I know this is not every person in the LGBT community, but a large part of that agenda is actively recruiting and harming kids. And they're, you know, undergoing procedures that are irreversible and have lifetime consequences. So we, we've got to figure out a better way of approaching these issues that is you know, yes, loving the the people in that community, but loving the the people, the the kids that are targeted by that community. Right. Right. And this is where I think I really like what you said about pastors need to be helping equip lay people in this. And I think one of the ways that, well, one thing that I wish would happen less is, um, there, there is a need to disciple our people not to be um, online all the time. There is a need to disciple our people not to be addicted to Twitter fights. I'm going to grant all that at the front because I want to say something different, <laughs> which is there also is a need to help equip your people to engage there when necessary and when they're called to do that. Um, and so if the only category we have for Twitter is as, as a pastor, big evil place everybody stay away Mm -hmm. um i think that is a very bad approach um because you think that twitter doesn't impact everything now again i'm going to grant something up front because it has to be granted and it's very important which is what you said earlier our children and our homes are the places of our deepest and most lasting influence and to neglect that is you should not be speaking out into the world. Mm-hmm. That's a granted and a given for me. Having said that, all all those things being true, that that's happening, not perfectly. So I'm not saying you have to have it perfect in order to engage. You're not going to be a perfect parent, but a godly parent. Um, that granted, engaging in places like Twitter or writing articles or writing books. In other words, engaging in the public square where words and ideas are the thing that we use as our weapons. Mm -hmm. Engaging there absolutely matters. And it Mm -hmm. does change people's lives. And it is a way of influencing the culture a lot more than people like to think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just think it is not helpful to have an attitude toward the the public um, square, which is which is social media, and to another degree or a lesser degree, maybe um, blogs and magazine news or online magazines and um, books. That is where the war of ideas and words happens. We should not be training our people to stiff arm that world 
um, we should be training them. Not that everyone needs to be on Twitter. I would say it's probably not very many, but many parts, one body. So the people who are called there, you ought to want to equip to speak in such a way um, that they are influencing the culture in a godly Christian way. Um, and so I just, I, I don't, I don't like the foregone conclusion that Twitter is um, just a place where, you know, mature Christians wouldn't be there. Well, yeah. we better hope they're there because that's where a lot of people are. And that's where all the ideas are being talked about. And yeah. I have heard from people who have had their minds changed on Twitter or read something that I wrote about transgenderism and have come out of transgenderism. <laughs> like, nice. you think that that could never happen. But you know what? It does happen. People do have their minds changed by persuasive speech and persuasive uh, life-filled words that speak the mm -hmm. truth. Um, and of course they do, because think about what speaking is. Think about what the word is. Jesus is the word made flesh. He works through our words. He is not opposed to places where words and ideas are being exchanged. There's power in words. Yep. Like, so I just, I, I don't like this concept of let's not go there. Let's just keep this really right here only ever. Now, there are going to be yeah. people who should not ever be on Twitter, and that's okay. But let's make room for some that are. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's such a, um, it, it, it would be really easy to be just uh, completely defeated by what we see going on in the world. And mm -hmm. just let's retreat. Let's, you know, let's just focus on our, our homes and our local church and not worry about this stuff. And um, I think that's missing um, the opportunity that mm -hmm. this moment brings. Like yep. you, you're talking about earlier, this is a, a replacement religion, which yeah. is, it, 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 we, can, we can look at that as incredibly encouraging. You know, right. for, for you know generation, people don't want nothing to do with religion. It was, no, I'm just living my life. I'm having fun. I'm doing, you know, whatever. But now people are waking up to the fact that, no, there's more to life. There's more to life than just consuming or mm -hmm. waiting for the next Marvel movie. There, there's, there's a hunger to make meaning of it all, to make it matter, to devote your life to something. And we have the answer. So to, to retreat from that space just seems like completely short-sighted. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think we do have models in the scripture or engaging in the public square. I mean, mm -hmm. looking in Isaiah, where he's saying truth has stumbled in the pub public square. Well, okay. So that's, I, that is true in our day and age. What's our response going to be for it? Just yeah. walk away? You know, like, um, so I don't know. And again, this is not a call for everyone to be online, but it is a call for everyone to engage and to use mm -hmm. their speech and their words to persuade, to yeah. show forth the truth, you know? Because it's not, in a, it doesn't just stay on Twitter. Right. Like this is showing up in your local school. It's showing up in our churches. That's it's right. showing up in, you know, your local knitting group. You know, it's these ideas that are percolating, that are part of this new woke religion that are captivating minds are everywhere. And right. if a, a complete 
lack of engagement on that is just to be derelict in our duty, you know, as Christians and as parents. Yep. Yeah. And I remember several years ago when I, I wrote a book called Atypical Woman. And the whole reason I wrote that book was not because I felt like, oh, you know what I'd really like to do? Go stick my toes into the debate on womanhood. It was because I was hearing error, significant error come through our church, which kind of has an identity as like, oh, we're really theologically astute. And yet error coming through from other books and other women posting online who had drawn, you know, these women were being taken by these errors. And I was like, this is not good. You know, it's coming out at the local level. And that's, Mm -hmm. of course, what we were talking about with our children being catechized by the world. It's the same thing. Um, And it's going to happen in every area. And we could address that locally. Like we could get all the women together and say, okay, what we need to do is just women get off of the internet, you know, like stop reading books by people that haven't been written by people who go to our church, or we'll give you the approved reading list and don't look at anything else. Well, that's one way of handling it. (laughs) I don't think that's the right way to handle it. Um, Instead, you've got to deal with the error. You've got to show them the better way. You've got to show them from scripture. And also, I would hope that you would care enough to get out there in the public world and help correct the error too. You know, yes, care for your local people and correct the errors, but try and spread those even further, you know, spread the corrections even further, spread the truth even further um, in whatever way possible. Why do you think pastors and uh, evangelical leaders are reluctant to engage on some of these topics? Because I, I look at the world and especially some of the um, the detransition stories, mm-hmm. but they're just like phenomenally, just very moving and and just the, there's a concern for these kids that are getting yeah. caught up into this. And then I look at some of the ways that it's either just not talked about in Christian circles right. or it's, there's so many, like so much nuance and, uh, you know, attempts to be winsome that I just feel like we're losing the urgency of like the problem that's here. Right. Right. You know, it's hard to say on a broad scale. Um, I'm sure there are some for whom they don't want to touch it because they're trying to walk a fine line of um, not offending, um, trying to be loving to kind of a whole group, which sort of means you're loving to no one in particular. Um, And so they're trying to kind of walk a fine line. I I think there are some who are wavering on their convictions in trying to walk a fine line. I think there are others who have very solid convictions, uh, completely solid convictions, and it's just not the world they live in. So they just really are kind of uh, bubbled a little bit in in their ministry work. They don't. They're not out in the world every day going to work at a secular place. Um, they aren't rubbing shoulders uh, with people who who live in the world. Um, so much of their world is insulated. Uh, they're not looking at losing their jobs for whether or not they put their pronouns in their um, you know work bio. They're not having to receive HR training on all the new latest things. So I. I also think there's just a true lack of awareness and um, it, you know, it's excusable to a point. <laughs> and yeah. then it, 
if enough people have said something, it, it's not excusable anymore. You need to be, you need to be among your sheep. And if your sheep are having to face these things, then you should also be facing them with them. Um, and just recognizing how serious it is for some people. Um, I've been so thankful for how our pastor has listened to people from the congregation who are in difficult situations like that and sought to, you know, build them up and to recognize that they could lose their job over things like this. Like, um, it's not just theoretical and it's not just um, Christians kind of having a complex of being persecuted. That's another thing that kind of irks me quite a bit about some of the discourse among Christians who are on the side that say, oh, don't engage in the culture war or don't engage that way in the culture war or I'll engage in the culture war in this way, but you can't like kind of the punch right caught a left crowd is, is this idea that like um, all of the persecution that Christians face in the United States is just made up. It's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're just trying to tell a dramatic story and your life is so whatever. And no one's saying that people are actually being like murdered for their faith, but losing your job because you're a Christian isn't nothing. Right. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Like it's not nothing. And, and it's, it doesn't mean that we should have a victim complex, but it does mean we should know what time it is. You know, we mm-hmm. should know, we should be able to see what time it is in our world and talk about it and, you know, see what can be done. Yeah. And I think that, I think in, in 2020, you know, with all the COVID stuff and we don't have to go down that rabbit trail, but mm-hmm. um, I think we saw a lot of um, the beginning of kind of a great sort where, where people started changing churches based on um you know, going to churches that would would tackle and dive into some of these. Right. You know, I, you know, Doug Wilson irks some people when you bring him up, but um, he's he's one of the few pastors out there that is answering the question: What do I do when I'm facing a vaccine mandate mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. might lose my job? Right. Whereas so many other pastors, I'm not. I don't want to touch that. I don't. That yep. there's people, angry people on both sides. I'm not going to wade into that. When the people in these these jobs and these you know positions, I'm looking at you know how do I provide for my family? I need some biblical pastoral advice, and I think that the times right now call for that. We have to, we need leaders and pastors to step into this and kind of let the chips fall where they may. Right, I I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it in some ways, I it feels at times like this this non-engagement, this refusal to say anything on the things that are controversial. What I want to almost ask is, what is your Christianity for? Like, I'm not saying that you have to hold a certain position on COVID, but if your Christianity doesn't make, I'll use something that um, Pastor John Piper has, has used before. He talks about Christianity is not just a beeline to the cross when things are going bad. You run to the cross to have your sins forgiven. Christianity is a beeline from the cross. Like we we have been forgiven. We are free people. We go from the cross and out, out, <laughs> go mm-hmm. out into the world. And I'm just thinking if if we don't have solutions 
or ways forward for these problems, even if the solution is, is just an acknowledgement, yeah, you're going to lose your job. Yeah, that's what God requires of you right now. Mm-hmm. Even if that's the answer, that who who is going to have the courage to say that if not a godly Christian pastor or a godly Christian person? Like, we have to be the people who know what time it is and are willing to speak the truth to our neighbor and to love them that way, um, and to the body of Christ. And so, yeah, I I agree. Like, it is so important, and it's such a missed opportunity um, for pastors to not wade in. Okay, so let's get practical. We're um, you and I, same page. We we agree that this is is something that Christians should be engaged in. Mm-hmm. How do we persuade others in our church that just like eh, that that culture war is icky? I don't like to think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I got enough mm-hmm. on my plate. How do we have those conversations without? Uh, I think. Um, Proverbs, it talks about uh, the fool gives full vent to his, yeah. his anger or frustration. And, you know, I think a lot of times when you've kind of um, been, you've had your eyes open to a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world, the tendency is just to give full vent, like, ah, this is a, a huge problem. Why don't mm-hmm. you see it? You just mm-hmm. want to shake people. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the most effective approach. How do we have those conversations? Yeah. Well, I'll probably repeat some of the things I said early on. But I think they're important because we are one body, many parts. And so it's going to look differently. And I think we should be willing to listen to our fellow Christians if they say, if they have qualms about, say, getting on Twitter or um, entering into an online dialogue, especially, I defer to their conscience one pretty much sure. 100%. If they're, yeah. if they're a godly Christian and they have qualms, I say, listen to your conscience. That probably isn't the place for you. What I do like to ask, though, is that they would not um, assume then that it's wicked and evil for anyone to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we we have to, again, recognize one body, many parts. Um, But what I try to do is encourage people to engage in the ways that God has put in front of them in their particular life and in their particular circumstances. You know, I had a friend who was on jury duty recently, and she was such a cool thing that the Lord did. I mean, if if she hadn't been on that jury, I think the verdict would have been different and justice would have been miscarried. And she is not an online person at all. But this godly mother, homeschool mom, was on that jury. And because she was there, she influenced that jury towards a righteous decision. I mean, it's just like, praise the Lord. Like, that is the culture war right there. And yep. she used her words, her speech, her understanding of what true justice is to persuade these people. And some of them were dead set against that at the beginning. They were not on the same page. So just recognizing that we want to encourage Christians to engage and to obey God with their speech in the circumstances he puts them in every day. And that's going to be different for different people. But none of us get to opt out. Like none of us get to say, oh, I just won't say anything. You know, if she would have just said, I don't want to cause any kerfuffle on this jury. So I'll just won't say anything because I'm just a homeschool mom and I'm a Christian and who will want to listen to me? And 
they might get mad at me. And what if they won't believe in Jesus because this Christian disagrees with them on this jury? No, like that would be disobeying God. That would be a disobedience. And so just to encourage people, like you have got to get yourself rightly aligned with God and willing to obey him. Like stop thinking so much about yourself and about how things are going to be perceived and leave your witness in his hands. Like stop trying to get, like decide how you are going to witness. He is going to decide how you are going to witness. You have to be the witness. You have to be there. You have to show up. Um, So that I think is a lot of the weirdness that's happened in that neutral world environment was we were PR, we were public relationings, our witness to the point where we were not a witness whatsoever. We took mm-hmm. every bit of witness out of it. And we just said, oh, no, we've got this PR agenda. We want to look a certain way. And therefore, no witness. You, God gets to decide how we witness. He put us in whatever circumstance he put us in. And he expects us to be a witness. <laughs> so yep. just, I mean, that's maybe sounds overly simplistic. But I think it's as simple as encouraging everyone to obey. I think that's great. And I think that's a a great place to end this conversation. Uh, Thank you so much, Abigail. This has been, I could go on for another hour, but this is a, this is fun. Um, An important conversation, I think. Um, Where can people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter, as I've said, (laughs) I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, Yeah, that's probably the only places you'll find me. I have a blog, but if you find me on any of those places, I'm sure there's links other places. You just Google me. And you, you have a podcast too, don't you? Sort of. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tilly Dillahay um, and I have done two seasons of a podcast called Home Fires. Um, and it's really just about making our homes a wartime outpost of life in Christ. And so we've done two seasons, but we are not certain whether there will be a third. Very okay. limited in scope. We'll see. All right. Well, I've uh, recently discovered it and I was surprised to learn. So you, you need to promote that because it's really good content. There's uh, you have some really, um, really good guests. So yeah, definitely go check that out. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks so much. Oh, and, thanks for having um, me. Yeah. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. That's our show for today. Big thanks to Abigail Dodds for joining us for this important conversation. You definitely want to be following her work. I'll include some links in the show notes where you can see more of her writing and uh, some links to the books she's written. You definitely want to follow her over at Twitter, where she is uh, just a really excellent thinker on these cultural issues. And uh, you'll find me there too, at Josh Dawes. Uh, if you found this content helpful, I would encourage you to share it with your friends. This is, this is such an important conversation to have. It, it doesn't need to just happen online, but in the context of our local churches. So you know, I would encourage you to, to sh- maybe share this with your small group, share this with your Sunday school or, you know, your, your close friends, maybe even your pastor, and not be afraid to, you know, step into these conversations. Because we all sense that there's this huge shift going on in culture. And as Christians, we need to be prepared to, you know, respond to it. We need to know the best way to do that. And we're going to, I think, come to the best answers if we think through these things in the context of our local church. So. Um, go ahead and, and share that uh, as, you, uh, as you can. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're listening uh, on podcast, uh, ratings over at Apple Podcast are really helpful at getting the show more visibility. And uh, if you are listening, we do have a new uh, YouTube channel that you can subscribe to. 
Uh, that'll be in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, fight the good fight. <laughs>